Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. But here's what we have to realize. You are absolutely wanted by God in His family. And so many of our issues and so many of the problems that we face and we carry on in life is because we feel unwanted. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why a smaller body like this can be so tight-knit is because you get plugged in and you feel like these people actually want me around, you know. I hope you feel that way. But we don't feel that way with God a lot of times. We feel like he's distant, he's removed from us, he's, you know, he kind of tolerates us. We might get into heaven, we might not. You, you know, you may be on the brink of too much sin, you're going to fall off the edge, and God's just done with you. He's just itching and waiting for an opportunity to just write you off. And it's like, you know, we, we say we don't believe that, but a lot of times because of the, the stuff that we carry about ourselves, we feel that way. Like we're just waiting for God to look for an opportunity to give up on us. And it's just absolutely not true. It's so untrue that he did something eternally to you to change you so that you would be in his spirit, you would be in his family. You know, I, it's interesting how this topic laid out in the midst of this series about spirit. Because today I'm talking about baptism in the spirit, but it's from a different perspective. What we think of when we think of baptism in the spirit is you got to be praying in tongues, you got to be doing miracles, and it's for the power and the fire, right? And it is for the power. I'm going to talk about the power aspect next week. But the first reason that God baptizes you in his spirit is because he needs to change you so that you can coexist with him eternally. That's what happens. He changes you. It's like he's oil and you're water, and those two don't mix. You know, when it says that you are at enmity with God, that's what enmity means. You ever, you ever done that? Put oil and water in a jar, and you shake it up, and it looks like it blends, but if you leave it, they separate over time. Oil and water cannot cohabitate or commingle. That's like how we are, you know? We are either oil or water. Let's say that we're oil and he's water. And when, to be able to mix with him, to live eternally with him, you have to be able to be saturated by him. So when you're baptized in the spirit, you are literally baptized into the body of Christ and you become one with God. That's what the baptism of the spirit is. It's a washing it's a cleansing, it's a changing of what kind of being and creature you are so that you can be one with God because he's eternal and nothing is eternal without him. So you have to be made one with him. So if you think, well, I'm just still waiting for the baptism of the Spirit, I'm still waiting for him to do something to me apart from my will, he's just going to take over and make my mouth do weird things, you know, I mean, I, I love to demystify some of those concepts, and baptism of the Spirit is one of them. It's just, you know, how many of you ever felt like because you don't pray in tongues that you're probably not baptized? You don't have to raise your hand, but you're probably not baptized in the Spirit. Or you've been taught that when you get baptized in the Spirit, you just hit the deck and you just start praying in tongues and angels show up and give you a new name or something like that, you know what I mean? It's like, and that can happen. I've heard of people getting saved and they just, boom, they just experience it all at one time. But let me just tell you this, just right off the bat as we get in, because I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures, 
And they're all, they sound like they're describing different things, but they're actually describing the same thing. I was thinking about this thing of baptism of the Spirit, and it's first and foremost so that God can be your Father. And that's really what Jesus made the religious of the day angry over, was that he called God his Father. Let's, let's look at this just to set the context here. In John 5, 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. I mean, do you have anybody chasing you around wanting to kill you because of the things that you're saying about God? Okay, just checking. I just, you know, it's like sometimes I think we read something like that and we don't realize how dedicated to his mission that Jesus was, right? I mean, knew that he was going to be killed, but for the joy set before him, faced it and endured it. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, see, this is what religion does. It wants to kill the relational aspect of God. This is what the pharisaical mindset, this is what the line-upon-line doctrinal people, which I love teaching and learning and studying line-upon-line, but if you read a passage that says something about God does all these things, but then you look at the relational, you look at the actual events that happened, and it looks like there's contradiction. Like you might have a blanket statement from Isaiah that says something like God's doing all these things. But then you see in James where he warns strictly, don't say that it's from God, and I'm kind of rabbit trailing. It's like when you're doing Bible study and you see a blanket statement but then you see where God actually interacted with mankind. You go with where you have evidence and the things that seem, don't seem to make sense, you have to filter them through where you saw God actually interact with people. Because where you see God touch and interact with humans, you learn about his character, and there may be something that you're misunderstanding about some of these blanket statements about God. I'm looking forward to doing a How to Study the Bible um, series or class or something just to kind of help us because, you know, you have to have that word in there so that when God starts knocking on the door of your heart, the only thing that he's going to work with is the word and confirm the word. Amen. And I want to teach you a little bit more. Most of us probably have a pretty good Bible study habit in your life, I hope. I always have to. I like to let those sit sometimes. But... <laughs> so they wanted to kill him. First off, the way that he broke the Sabbath was that he healed somebody. He healed somebody on the Sabbath day, and they wanted to kill him for it. I mean, is that not the height of religion? It's like, that is the actual definition of religion or performance-based religion. Here's God in the flesh executing his will, setting someone free, and they're mad because he broke the law. It's like, okay, I get that the law is important to you, but, if, but God here is displaying his character and showing his compassion toward a person. It's not that he actually is breaking the law, but love supersedes law. Now, not codependent, sick, unhealthy love where you just get to do something to break the law and call it love, breaking emotional laws, breaking the emotional boundaries that we should have for each other. But see, Jesus showed us what law applied looks like and the context was love. So they're mad at him because he healed somebody on the wrong day and they really wanted to kill him. But they really weren't mad at him. They were mad at him because he broke the law, but they wanted to kill him because he said that God was his father. 
Think about that for a minute. You know, that all up, up until now, God had only been kind of thought of as the, the keeper of the covenant or the giver of the covenant or the almighty judge, the, you know, the mighty God that they, were, that they didn't really know how to relate to. I mean, the children of Israel from the very beginning distanced themselves almost even asking for the law, but all along God wanted to have an actual relationship. And they wanted to kill him when he started changing the context of who God really is. You know, let's just keep going here. Acts 1.5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. I think being baptized with the Holy Spirit is uh, it's not that hard to understand that. But let me ask you this. What do you think being baptized with fire is or means? Most of us think power. And it's not, that you're, it's not that we're wrong, but the word for fire there is <laughs> Say it with me. <laughs> you're not saying it. Yeah, you know, like what your cat says. That's, that's what it sounds like in the Greek. Greek is interesting, yeah. Get this thing going. But, but it, it means to purify. It means to purify. The word being baptized with fire more than anything means to purify. It is his power, and we are left with power living within us, but to be baptized with fire by the Spirit of God is a purification and a cleansing. It's, again, back to that illustration of, man, I'll tell you, fire right there. Uh, <laughs> it's not so that you can run around and swing your coat at people and say, fire on them, fire on them, you know. Been there, done that. I mean, you know, if that works for you, knock yourself out. But, but we're... Keep in mind, there's a thread here, right? And the thread is baptism of the Spirit. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to live lives as Christians. We're trying to live a life that is empowered by God, that is under the grace of God. We're trying to live a life of truth and purity, living a life of holiness and righteousness that matches what God has actually done to us. And then we get these concepts taught to us like baptism of the Spirit, and it, and it detaches from the relational element, and it makes it a different form of law, and it makes it like charismatic power law or something like that. Like charismatic speak a different, and you know, I'm charismatic. I'm praying in tongues, believing for miracles. We've seen miracles happen two in the last two weeks. I mean, Jimmy back there has a brand new artery that grew around a blockage in his heart and has got more energy than you've had in a while. I mean, praise God. We believe in miracles. In the past, in the past couple of months, we've saw, we saw a brain tumor disappear. You know, I mean, legitimate, real miracles, doctor-verified miracles, right? So we want that. I want to see more of that. But baptism of the Spirit is that's secondary for what baptism of the Spirit is about. It's like we're too focused on those kinds of things. We're so focused on what we get out of it 
rather than what God gets out of it, and God gets children out of it. So what we're talking about here is a baptism of the Spirit that purifies you and cleanses you and changes the kind of being that you are and changes you from oil to water so that you actually can cohabitate and be, and be one with God eternally, securely, that you can trust in what he has done. And the baptism of the Spirit is something that he does to you to seal you and leave you marked and changed forever, even until your physical body becomes changed as well. Baptism of the Spirit is God taking you and, and, and doing something to you so that you can actually be with him. He places his spirit within you, but he cleans you up internally, purely, completely, and wholly so that you can coexist with him. You know, and, but we still have these fleshly bodies, and it, this, you know, just this right here, this skin is not inherently evil, just so you know. It will crave what you think about. So if you guide your thoughts to who you are in Christ, it will crave righteousness. It will help you filter your choices and your decisions and what you look at and what you think about and what you eat and all that stuff, right? But if you think about the things in this world that are ungodly, that's what your flesh is going to crave too. You don't have an evil element of you once God changes you. See, we have to understand that the depth to which we were actually changed. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He has baptized you with his spirit, and it's like, it's like you're standing there, and the inside of you is dirty and is filthy, and it's like he just goes through and just burns, just whatever, whatever your visual is. When you say yes to him and he does something to you with his spirit, he's baptizing you. And, and baptism means to be fully immersed. It's the word baptizo. It means to be saturated and fully immersed with, not just on. You know, under the old covenant, righteousness was external and they put it on. It was like a robe that they would put on and it would be taken off. It's like the anointing would come and be taken off. But you have been permeated with it. You have been changed from darkness to light. That's the kind of being that you are. That's what baptism does. His spirit has come in contact with the inner man of you, and it changes the molecular structure to something that you weren't before. And so I just want us to put away the mindset that baptism of the spirit is something weird that has to do with all these things that I either get to do or have to do now. Sometimes believing... Sometimes people that, like you go to a church, talks a lot about miracles. Sometimes it's like, man, it's a lot of pressure. You ever felt like that? And then, and then you get all this fabricated stuff, people trying to out-testimony each other because of their miracles. And it's like, well, where's Jesus in all this, you know? I mean, wh where's, where's Jesus? Because I, praise God, you got 27 people healed today. But, you know, so what if, if you're not bringing people to the knowledge of Christ? So baptism of the Spirit, I want you to set aside your mystical ideas of it and realize it's a relational act that God does to you to change you. It happens when you get born again. You get all of God's Spirit when you get born again. You don't get a baby spirit that has to then grow up. You don't get a little deposit, then you've got to go to the big boys to get impartations to get more spirit. You have all spirit, amen? You are complete in him when he does that to you. I mean, I'm just really kind of wanting to exhaust this idea here so that you realize there's nothing within me lacking. 
There's not anything else that God has to give to me. Everything else from now on is just God working through me these gifts and these capacities, these fruits, the gifts, the fruits, the graces, they're all just manifestations of the Spirit that's in you, through you, to be out of you. Amen? There's not a gift or an ability or a capacity that God, that somebody else is walking in that's a believer that's not already in you. You just might need to, in your heart to develop a little bit, uh, transform a little bit more in your thinking, become a little bit more confident in that area to allow that gift to flow through you. Do you see the difference? So we talked a little bit about electricity. I look at Michael here as an electrician. But we talked a little bit, and you, if you need to correct me on my terms, you can wait till afterward. Just let, <laughs> let, me think, let me think I know what I'm talking about here for a minute. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you think of God as power. You know, you look, these power lines out here. I read something where it's like 400,000 to maybe 750,000 volts of power going through these power lines out here or some of the biggest power lines that we have. But like this light bulb, 110 volts. I mean, what do you think if the, what's in those power lines went through that bulb right there? It just, bum, 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 they're just gone. And maybe us too, right? <laughs> so it's like you think of God as full power, just unhindered, unlimited, infinite power. Now, with electricity, you have to put a transformer on it. You have to step it down, right? You have to change it so that it can interact with either a light bulb or a toaster or whatever. But it's like, you know, if you just grab a hold of that power that's not been transformed, you're gone. And that's how it is with God, right? You cannot coexist with God because of the condition that we're in, you just incinerate. And that's the, that's the second death, when, you, when we all are resurrected and we stand before God and that lake of fire thing happens, which I don't really know exactly what that is or how that works, but he separates the ones that receive eternal life and the other ones go the other way, probably face the full power of God. And what happens in that moment? You know, something happens that's not good. Those people cannot exist with God eternally. Now, whether that be that they exist in that state eternally or they're gone, both of those ideas are within Orthodox Christianity. One is annihilationism that believes at the lake of fire that a human that has not received the gift of eternal life experiences that kind of power and judgment, and because it hasn't received the gift of eternal life, doesn't live forever, or it's, it is forever. And both are bad because in that place, there is no time. It would seem like forever. I mean, those are the kinds of things. It's like, God, I don't know. I just, I'm just going to leave that up to you. Amen. But there is a separation in the end. And I think that's what happens. It's like the veil gets pulled back or whatever it is. And we are just exposed to pure power, God's power. Now, you have to have been changed in order to not be destroyed by that in that moment. But see, here's the thing. That power is in you now. It's in spirit form in you now, and the transformer that can receive that power is your heart that steps down that power and, and lets it become to you. So like we have electricity powering light bulbs and computers and all this kind of stuff. That power coming to us powers, say, the gift of tongues or a word of knowledge or love, compassion, self-control joy, gentleness, 
Those are all different outcroppings and manifestations of that power running through you. But your heart is that transformer that receives that power, and it determines the degree to which you're going to let that power manifest in your life. See, God's not picking and choosing what he's going to do for you and what he's not going to do for you. He's like, here, take it all. Take it all in Christ. Now, you decide to what degree you want to actually be confident in who I am in you. See, the governor that we have inside of us that's regulating this power is based on our self-perceptions. That's based on who we think we are. It's based on who we think God is. And that's where doctrine comes in. Doctrine is all these... I mean, we want pure and truthful doctrine, right? But sometimes religious doctrine that's like the Pharisees that say, you broke the law, so we want to kill you, rather than Jesus actually setting someone free from sickness and disease. Those are the kinds of things that get written on our heart that limit that power inside of us. See, when you have been changed to be able to cohabitate with God, then when you're experiencing God, it's going to tend toward life. There's nothing in God that's death. There's nothing in him that's going to cause adverse situation for you. It's this world that has all that stuff. Where he exists outside of the limitation of his power, there's no problems, right? Every tear wiped away, perfection. Man, that's going to be amazing. That's why Jesus could pray the legal prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the way that his will gets established on earth is through you. It's through your heart. It's like we are the power plants around distributing God's power into this earth, and it comes through you. I mean, we can have as much of him as we can let ourselves trust for. You know, God is not the problem. God is not the one withholding. God is not the one determining the quality of your life. We are. So this baptism of the Spirit thing, it's like you get a transformer, you get a new heart, you get a new nature, if you want to call it, this inner man within you. It is able to receive from God full power, which can manifest in any situation to bring you into truth and life, which is his will. He has given you, see, so then you look at the relational element of that kind of idea, that he has given you great and precious promises. Not only did he change you at your core when you said yes to him, not only did he give you a new man and make your entrance into heaven secure, and forgive you of all of your sin. It, then he also made you great and precious promises so that you would be a partaker of his divine nature. Think about that for a minute. God made you promises so that you could experience his quality of life, that you would be a partaker of his, his divine nature, the very nature of God you can experience. And he's made you promises so that you can experience his divine nature. Is that, I mean, is that incredible or what? You know, carnal-mindedness would take that and turn it into, well, watch out that you're not going to, you know, turn it into the prosperity gospel and all that kind of stuff. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, of course we don't want to be carnal and selfish and, you know, misuse the power and the spirit of God within us. But, I mean, we don't want to limit God either. You don't want to limit what God can do through a human being. You know, Jesus is not the standard that you have to try to live up to. Jesus is the testimony of what a human can be. You look at Jesus and you're like, it could be like that for me. 
Now, there is warning. You might experience suffering as well. If you stand up and you proclaim the gospel, you might experience persecution with suffering associated with that. But in general, Jesus, you know, it's like God became man. And he said, I want to show you how you can live as a human, not what you have to do to please me, but Jesus is the testimony of what mankind can be. Do you see that? Full of grace, full of truth, knowing who he is, directly connected to God, walking around this earth, responding to him, him exactly expressing who God is. That's who, it is. That's who you can be. Now, you're not going to be the Messiah. You're not going to become a God or any of that weird stuff. You're just a child of God. God sets the rules, and that's how he wanted it to be. He wanted you to partake of his divine nature. I mean, I want this to be challenging. I want to demystify baptism of the Spirit, which I've got more scriptures to read. But I also wanted to challenge inside of you. Where, what is it that you're going to let God do in you and for you and through you? You know, pick an area and begin to trust him in that area. And over the next couple of weeks, we might even do some meditation, pick some areas either on the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, all of that kind of stuff we're going to continue to talk about. But, man, I want you to walk out of here today realizing you don't have a little trickle of God. You know, God, here's the thing. God is not a water fountain over there you got to go drink from. And he's not a little trickle within you. In other words, he's not outside of you. He's in you. And he's not a little trickle. It's like an open fire hydrant that you try to hook up to that thing, man. I mean, you know, I want to I plant these ideas so that we start realizing, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really limiting God. I'm really limiting what he can do through me. Now, don't beat yourself up and start going and self-analyzing and getting all introspective and trying to figure out how to get it to work. You just trust who you are in him. You trust that he's your father and that he loves you. And you just sit within that. Just meditate on that. You are in the family. Amen? So baptism of the Spirit is really interesting because he promises, this is before he ascends, and he says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a cleansing. It's a cleansing that happens to you that leaves you born again, leaves you a new creature, born from above, born of heaven. All of those are the same thing. And that spirit remains within you and is incredibly powerful beyond what we can even imagine. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I read this last week, but what does it say to be baptized in? Now, when it says name, what does that mean? It means the authority or who he in his identity, right? So for you to be baptized in the name of Jesus is not where we bring a water trough up here and we baptize you in water and say in Jesus' name at the end of it. That's not what this is talking about. It doesn't say water, does it? It says be baptized in the authority of Christ. Water baptism is a public expression of that spiritual truth. So you being baptized in Christ is you being baptized with his spirit into the body of Christ. This is when you become a child of God, when you're baptized. Amen? Now, 
Some of you that have been Baptist for a really long time, that might be hard, and I'm not really trying to just wreck every belief that you've held dear your entire life, <laughs> but some of them. There's nothing magic about water baptism. Gosh, I feel like I need to let that one sit a little bit too, you know what I mean? Because we, we hang a lot on the things that we do within our flesh, right? But water baptism is a work of the flesh. No flesh inherits the kingdom. You cannot boast in anything. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. If, you get in, if it's you dunking underneath the water, that's you doing something in your physical ability, and therefore you can boast. You can say, I went and got water baptized, contributed to my salvation. No. Do you see that? You see the little things that we attach to salvation because we did some kind of work? Being baptized in the name of Jesus is a spiritual thing. And not, you know, sometimes we think of a spiritual thing and we think it's not real or it's just an idea. But spirit is real. We are directly connected to spirit right now. It's, it's all around us. It's not detached from us. There's not a realm that you have to go into, you know. To be baptized into Christ, it's, it would be kind of like this. Being baptized into Christ, is almost, it's as if your eyes could all of a sudden see infrared. So you think of, you can only experience, so it's, let's call this a life spectrum here. You with me? I mean, I've done this before, but I just really feel like I want to put this in there. Let's call this a life spectrum. Let's call this death, and let's call this in God, right? God is pure power, pure energy, pure life. And we are right about in here in the life spectrum. In order to be where God is, you have to be changed to be like him, right? Now, the light spectrum and the electromagnetic spectrum are similar. The light that we can see with our eyeballs is maybe about right here, whereas on this end would be infrared and this end would be something else. It's you being baptized in the spirit. It's like you become exposed to a higher life a higher frequency, a more pure life, more light. Does that make sense? It's like it's better, to put it simply. Being baptized in the Spirit changes the kind of being that you are and the kind of life that you can experience, much like as if you got a new set of eyeballs that could see a different part of the light spectrum. When you get baptized in the Spirit, it does something to you to the degree where you can now interact with God on a different level. You're no longer separated. You're no longer left to your carnal existence and your own power. You're not just a servant or a slave any longer. You become a child. You change at the core of what you are. You, know, you become like him at the deepest part of who you are. So um, you're baptized in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Now we're going to read a couple more passages, and they seem like, you know, because... When you, do, when, you, when you do a pretty serious, uh, take a theological approach and you're really studying the word, all of these kinds of things that we're about to look at come across as different doctrines, like there's the doctrine of baptism of the Spirit, there's a doctorate, doctor, a doctrine of being born above, born from above, born of heaven, being, you know, all these kinds of things. It's like all separated. And it's like a, a, an academic theological approach breaks down the word of God and separates everything out and muddies the idea of what actually happens to you in spirit. And it makes spirit and spiritual realities feel like they're, they're just ideas for some other place. Does that make sense? You ever thought that way about spirit? 
Like it's not real to me right now, it's not really something that actually happened within me, but it's a nice idea and it will be true of me one day. Like we go somewhere else into some other realm. You're in that realm and you being baptized in the spirit changes you so you can interact with that realm in a different way. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. So being baptized into the body, it's the same thing. It's being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's being baptized in the spirit. Really, the technical term is the spirit baptizes you in Christ, but we call it baptism in the spirit, but it's really the same thing. It's, and, it, and it is that you get the spirit in you, but it's more of something that you are placed into. So what you see from this is baptism of the spirit is not necessarily when you're waiting for God to show up and put something in you as much as it is that he takes you and puts you in him. And that once he puts you in him, you're so saturated with him that he's now in you. Do you see that? And it's, it's, it's a relational act that God does to you that he takes you and puts you in him. It's almost like he picks, his, picks you up and puts you in himself. He embraces you so tightly that it's like you become changed at the free, you know, if you were to, if you were to play these guitar strings and you set another guitar, pick one, pick a string, the other guitar would start resonating on that same frequency. That's what happens to you. It's like you're resonating on a real dull, low frequency, but God does something to you, and it changes what and who you are. Now, it's spiritual, but it's real. Spirit is real. It's more real than temporary existence. So Colossians 2. You getting something out of this? I think we finally got there. I got my head straight. Colossians 2, starting in verse 11. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. See, now, this is visual language that he's using to describe the same thing. He's getting ready to describe the same thing, and that is God placing you into him. But he gives you a little bit more nuance of what happens in the circumcision illustration is that the old you is cut out. So while you're being baptized in the Spirit, and you're being purified by his fire and cleansed and saturated with him, he's cutting out the old dead man, the old nature, you could say. So in him you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, flesh there is not body. It's the word sarks, and sarks has two applications. One is body. The other is nature or inner man. And this application, like you can go to a, a lexicon and look up the word, and it'll show you the word sarks is applied this way in these passages, but it's applied this way in these passages. Here, it's talking about the old man, the inner man, the nature is cut out, not your body, not the body that wants to sin. You see the difference? All right, so 
You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So this is another thing that happens as you are baptized into the body of Christ, into the authority and the name of Christ. God forgives you. Now, really, he's already forgiven you because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for sin of the entire world. But it becomes effective for you when you actually receive. In other words, until you say yes and you, all of these things happen to you, then that sin is still there against you in judgment, but it gets wiped away when, he's, when this happens. So having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, see, being baptized in Holy Spirit and fire, the fire is doing this to you. Having wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. And having disarmed principalities and powers, that's another thing that happens to you. When you are in Christ, when you are baptized in him, no demon can have any power over you. All they can do is lie to you. I mean, the only power that a demon has is, hey, how'd you like to come over here and experience a little bit of death? You know, I mean, it's pretty much what they should say. And you're like, okay, I think I'll have some of that death and walk over there and you interact with it, you know? That's about how dumb it is to follow demons. But we don't know that that's what's happening because they will say things that we already believe about ourselves inwardly, and so it's like a hypnotism thing that you, you repeat that stuff and it becomes a stronghold. But it has zero authority for the believer. You change your mind, you change the belief in that area, and that devil has nothing to hold on to and it will flee. It's just the way it works. We can cast devils out of people, but if we don't get them to change, to repent in their mindset and believe the truth of who they are in Christ and what he's done to them, in them, for them, through them, then they'll believe the same thing again and it'll come right back again with more, and it's worse. So it's not about telling a devil to leave somebody as much as it is getting that person to realize who they are in Christ and then no lie can affect them. Now, you might need to clean house a little bit to begin with so they can think clearly enough to repent. But in your baptism in Christ, nothing has authority or right to come into your life. Two more, 1 John 2. Are you getting something out of it? Starting in 24. <clears throat> Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now, Jesus talks about this in, in John, and I think we'll go into that next week, but uh, verse 25, and this is the promise he has promised us, eternal life. This is something that I want you to understand here. God has promised you eternal life. Well, can you lose your salvation? I don't know. Does God break his promises? Can you send your way out of the body? I don't know. Does God break his promises? Because right here it says God has promised you eternal life. That's God's idea. That's God saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. I promise you. Now think of the most 
honest person that has the most integrity in your life that you trust more than anything. And if they come to you and they promise you something, do you believe them? God has made us great and precious promises so that we would be partakers of his divine nature. This is one of them. He has promised you eternal life. You start worrying that you might be going to hell after you receive Christ, you just don't believe God's character. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're more, you're letting yourself feel a different reality based on your behavior than you're acknowledging the character of God. God promises. He does all these things to you. He places you in Christ. And he says, this is a promise. The fact that you're in my body, you're in me. My spirit is in you. We are one. I promise you it will result in eternal life. I mean, you can take it to the bank. It's a big deal. I'm telling you. It's, 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 it's a conversation that happens. It's a conversation that happens within people. Religion has been used to make you analyze your behavior, which leads you to questioning your salvation. When salvation shouldn't be based on how you feel about your behavior, it should be based on, is God telling me the truth? Does God really keep his promises? Where's that? Doesn't that sound familiar? All the way back to the garden, man's first temptation. Did God really say? It's, temptation is always about questioning the character of God. Not because you're some evil, dirty thing. You know, you, the reason you fall into temptation is because you're questioning the character of God, and so you choose something else other than his provision of that desire. Did you follow me with that? You know, temptation is not necessarily because you're just some old dirty thing that wants to do evil. It's because you've questioned the character of God and the fact that God can meet that need in a godly way that brings life, but you don't believe that, so you choose something else. Temptation starts with questioning the character of God. Did God really say? Did he really promise me eternal life? Next time you're sitting there and you're beating yourself up and you're wondering... You know, is this too much? Have I gone too far? Most of you here are probably not feeling, have not felt that. Or, but I'm telling you, I've run across people, some of the most wholesome, loving, kind people I've met and counseled with them. And they were sitting there thinking that they might not make it to heaven. That's, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's very real. And imagine the turmoil that that would create within somebody, you know? that they would literally sit there and wonder. And, and, and it's a lot of the reason is because they've not been taught the sufficiency of Christ. They've not been taught who Jesus is and what he did. And they're not holding on to something like this where he says, I promise you eternal life. Man, it's a big deal. If your emotions don't match that, and if your thoughts and your beliefs don't match that, then you need to change them. You need to repent. Amen? Verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those uh, who try to deceive you. Don't let religion deceive you into thinking that God might. You're going to reach God's tolerance threshold and he's done with you. That's not what a father does. Verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. That's a reference to the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit. 
being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You going through this process of understanding that he's promised you eternal life, and you say yes to that. You say yes to the work that Jesus has done. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't be ashamed. Now, you might have some things that you need to clean up. You might have some things that you're like, ugh, really? Ugh, I need to get rid of that. But don't let it take away from the encounter that you can have with God in your heart. Shame is a killer. Shame is something that, it's, it's, a, it's a deception. You know, it, it's, it's, shame thinks I've got something on me that God sees when I stand in front of him or when he thinks about me. There's something about me that's bad or wrong. And it's like, there may be some things you need to change, but when God looks at you, he sees a beloved child. Now, that sounds nice and poetic, but you have to do something within your heart so that that is a reality for you that that is true for you and not just an idea. I and mean, I'm serious about that. If you, if you think about being in the presence of God and there's shame there, realize that is not what God is looking at. That is not how God is choosing to relate to me. That, this is the secret of Christianity, is that you can set aside your emotions, you can set aside your untrue thoughts and change internally what you're feeling and thinking to match God's reality. If you can do that, done, you win. That's the power of grace. That's the power of repentance. That is uh, transformation through the renewing of your mind. That is how you walk in the power, experience the power, stay out of the lure of sin, all of that. If you can change your internal world to match how God sees you and feels about you, you will live that way. That, that's the battle. You're not battling because you still have a sin nature. You're battling because you think you do. Last, last verse here, Ephesians 1. <clears throat> in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You, you are sealed with this spirit. It's not just something that you get in you that leaks out a little bit and you got to go get more. You know, you're not just a child, but you have been sealed. Like God has put his mark on you. You remember back in um, Cain and Abel and Cain, you know, they brought their sacrifices. Abel brought the first fruits of, to, to honor God. Abel brought a sacrifice that acknowledged, God, you gave this to me, essentially. Cain brought a sacrifice that was a prideful display of the work of his hands. So Abel's sacrifice was an acknowledgement of, I'm just, I'm thankful that you have given this to me, and this is something that has come through me from you, and here's the first fruits of it. That's what, you know, that's what your giving should be. But 
Cain was like, <laughs> look what I did, you know, prideful about it. And that's what led them to what happened. So if you don't know, Cain and Abel were the sons of uh, Adam and Eve, the first humans. And then Cain went and killed Abel. And so when God excommunicated him, you know, we look at that as a judgment. But what did he do to Cain? Cain said, look, they're going to kill me. I'm going to go out there and all these people, where'd they come from? I don't know. We can talk about that and how to study the Bible class. But <laughs> <laughs> What did God do to Cain? He said, Cain came to God. God. Cain had just experienced the judgment of God. You got to go. And th so he went back to God. And, God. and he says, look, if I go out there, they're going to kill me. God says, okay, I'm going to mark you. I don't know what that mark was but I'm going to mark you. I'm going to do something to you so that they know you belong to me. That is a mark of protection on you so that when you go out, you will not experience what you are afraid of. He had just experienced the judgment of God. He had just been cast out of his family, and God puts a mark on him to protect him from the danger that, he might, that he's afraid of that he might encounter out there. Is that incredible or what? You know, this mark was not a scarlet letter, you're an adulterer, Shame on you for all to see. It was, no, this one's mine. He messed up, but this one's mine. You can't touch him, world. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you. It seals you. Doesn't give you a license to sin. Doesn't mean you should run out and test God's patience or any of that kind of stuff. But it's a seal on you, even to the demonic realm, even unto the angels, unto all creation, and hopefully to yourself. That when you look in the mirror, you see that seal. You see that mark. I belong to God. I belong. God has protected me. He has wrapped me up in himself. He has hidden me within. I am hidden with Christ in God, sealed up, protected with the promise of eternal life, a child of God forever. And I'm telling you, if you can rest within that, that changes every other aspect of your life, you know? We go to these, we read these different books, we re go to these different seminars, we learn different doctrines to try to get better at doing Christianity. And it's like I'm telling you, it will all be a natural byproduct the more you are convinced of your sonship in Christ. The more you understand how changed you are in spirit internally, so much so that you are one with God, protected by him, sealed by him. So all of the other stuff that we talk about when we talk about the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts and the power and all that stuff, it's, it has to be a fruit of that understanding of your identity in Him. Do you see that? Because when you go and you start talking about the power and you start talking about miracles and you start talking about gifts, you get these doctrinal things in your mind or you, you start to develop circumstantial theology. In other words, well, okay, so I was in this situation over here, and see, this is the way it happened over here this one time, so that means that I got to go find me a scripture, and we're going to create a doctrine here, and what that means is we don't have all of God, so I've got to go to this guy who's getting miracles and let him lay hands on me, and now I can do, now I can do miracles. That, that's a lie. That, I mean, I, you know, I pick on that one quite a bit because it's just kind of the most obvious one, but there are lots of nuances and subtleties of where we limit who God is in us. And, 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 and it's the, wor the world needs to see a body of Christ that understands its identity, that, that is walking in power. Amen?
because we want to walk in power. But really walking in power is just kind of like, it, you know, Jesus is walking, and, and it's like he's so focused and who just so rock solid in who he is that somebody reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, power, healing. Somebody says, hey, Jesus, if you're willing to heal me, I would like for you, to, I'm willing. What are you willing to let me do for you? I mean, that, that, those are the kind of interactions. I'm, I, am, I will show you who God is. What are you willing to let me do for you? That's where we're going to go into this next week is what are you willing to let God do for you and through you? Not so that you get to boast and look like the hotshot Christian, but so that your God, your Father, is living through you to touch a broken world. Amen? So what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the idea that your baptism in spirit has left you completely saturated with God, one with him, resting in your identity? You know, maybe this week as you're going about your day, when you wake up in the morning, first thing, just let that idea and that concept roll around in your thinking a little bit that I'm saturated with God. God's not separate from me. Right now in this moment, the spirit of the living God dwells within me, and he is seeking to bring life to my physical body. You know, I want to wake up and hear that spirit and just be aware that God is affirming my identity, that his spirit is within me crying. He's giving me a spirit crying, Abba, Father that he is bearing witness to my spirit that I am his child. I mean, think about that. Think about waking up tomorrow morning, and the very first thing you're aware of is God is within me, and what he wants me, he wants my first thought to be this, you're my child. His spirit is within you, bearing witness with your spirit that you are his child. And because you are his child, you can rest within him, let go of all that fear, let go of all that shame, and let that power just flow. Let that power flow. Let it turn into love. Let it turn into compassion, kindness, patience, self-control. First thing in the morning when you wake up, turn your thoughts toward him. Be grateful. Show him gratitude for whatever it is that you can think of in that moment that you're thankful for, and let him affirm to you he said he will put his spirit in you, that he put his spirit within you. And what it's doing is bearing witness that you are his child. Let him do that. You know, don't wake up and wonder, well, God, I wonder if it's, do you really see me that way? No, you wake up and you let God do what he promised you he would do. Affirm to you that you are his child. And because you are in that place, everything that you need to experience will just flow out of that. All, everything that you need. Seek, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything will be added to you. Seeking that righteousness is not, how do I get more of it? It's affirming. I need to make sure that my mind is understanding that I am in a place of acceptance before my Father. Everything's good between me and God. I, I, I really, I'm, I, I seriously, I want for the next week until we get back in here next Sunday, try that. When you wake up in the morning, just set your heart on him, set your mind on him, and let him affirm to you that you're his child. And just see what it does to your day. And we'll add little things like that as we go. Amen? Father, thank you so much.
for being our Father, for not just leaving us in a situation where <clears throat> we're subjects in your kingdom, but we are actually children in your family. We are safe in your house because that is what you want. And we want you to be glorified through us. If there's anybody in here today that you've never said yes to that,